Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell, NFL Films. Some have said, I said for the longest time, it's the best weekend of pro football that we have because you get the, the four divisional games Saturday and Sunday back. But it used to be this would fall on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. So it was, it was like both games were Saturdays too. That's now the wild card. We do have to go back to work on Monday, but I, I think it's going to be a fun Saturday and Sunday. What do you think? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it a lot. I think there's some really good matchups. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I always look forward. And you know what I like? I mean, it's obviously earlier for you where you live, but I like the fact that it's a little later in the day. So, I, you know, I can actually, like, do stuff and, and not feel like I, you know, have to be at 1 o'clock right in front of the TV, you know. So, so I kind of yeah. like that these games start a little later. Yeah, no, I, I I did too. We had a great. I mean, it was two thirty start time here in in, in Idaho or four thirty Eastern time for all three days of the wild card games, and I I I grew to like that a lot. Yeah, yep. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Well, let's let's start. Let's go with the the latest game and work our way backwards through the matchups. So let's go. I believe it's Chiefs and Bills is the final game, kind of the the headlining game of the of the four. And we've seen this is pro- is this the best rivalry right now in the last five years? Like it was Patriots Colts for all those years. Cowboys yeah. Niners. Is it Bills and Chiefs right now? Not that that's what we're going to talk about, but just. Yeah, it, it probably is. I mean, it's an interesting rivalry in the sense that um, the, the Bills have won three in a row all in Arrowhead. But obviously they lost in the playoffs uh, twice or three times. They've lost in the playoffs, so they've never beaten the Chiefs in the playoffs, but they've won three years in a row during the regular season at Arrowhead, if if I'm, I believe I'm correct there. Uh, and obviously this game will now be uh, in, uh, in Buffalo, so uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, you certainly have, you know, two great quarterbacks, two fun quarterbacks to watch. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at the Chiefs offense yet, but I thought Mahomes played a really outstanding game this past week against the Dolphins. Well, what makes you say that? What did you like most? Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I saw it on TV, but I haven't watched the film yet. First of all, I thought that um, he played from the pocket at a really, really high level. Um, He stayed in the pocket. He didn't leave the pocket unless it was absolutely necessary. He was calm. He was composed. They, uh, Vic Fangio sort of went a little off the charts with zero pressure. Um, they were yep. probably 12 or 13 or 14 snaps of zero blitz. And I thought Mahomes was really efficient reading it, executing it. He didn't break down. He stayed there. He knew where to go with the football. Um, I thought mentally and physically he played a really strong game. And I give Andy Reid a ton of credit because uh, I'm sure you saw the game on TV. I did too, as well as seeing the the tape. But I thought Andy Reid played the game as if it was 50 and sunny. He didn't He didn't let the weather impact how he approached or called the game. He came out and just played. And I think that he probably built that into his team all through the week that, hey, you know, we're just we're going to play our game. It doesn't matter what the weather is. And I thought that that really showed up. And, you know, to me, that was really evident watching it, particularly on TV, because uh, obviously you don't get the same feel for the elements watching the tape as you do when you're watching it live on television. But, no, I thought Mahomes was was truly outstanding in this game, maybe his best game of the year, even if the, the statistics at the end didn't necessarily reflect that. Right, and it, it did have the feel watching the game, and you hate to – you don't want to pile on Miami. They were down half their starters on defense. It's right. been a disappointing end of the season, but it looked like a team coming from warm weather with a bunch of guys hurt on a miserable week two schedule-wise. They were – the Sunday night game 
and they were thinking they're going to be playing on the next Sunday at home, and all of a sudden yep. they're playing Saturday night. Now, that one day, by the way, Greg, I've I've learned that you don't hear a lot about it, and guys adjust. But that one day, like a Monday night to a Sunday game or Sunday to Saturday, that's a huge difference in the lives of a lot of people within the organization. Players, maybe not quite as much. Everybody else, it's a total pain in the ass, though. And yeah. those guys had to go play in the coldest weather that we've seen in a really long time. They had the look and feel of a team downtrodden by that. Yeah. I have a question for you, Andy, you know, a, a tactical question, you know, just being around, you know, coaches, you know, having worked for a team. Um, clearly Vic Fangio and staff, I mean, he has the final decision, but you, you know, you know how it is. Coaches sit around, they talk, they try to figure it out. Um, what do you think made Vic, sort of change his approach in this game. This was the lowest percentage of two shell coverage he played all season. He clearly did not believe that cover four and its variations was the best tactical approach versus the Chiefs. And like I said, he had a, probably more zero blitz in this game than most teams in the league have an entire season. So what what do you think went into that? Any sense of that at all? I think he doesn't know what he's got in his personnel right now. I mean, they are they have guy they played guys that they just signed that week. Guys that we yep. have familiar names, but kind of guys coming off the street were, you know, in the mix. They're they're trying to figure out who to play up front. So he's not counting on his pass rush at all. On the back end, you know, Javon Holland's been off and on the injury report with the knee. I, I don't know if you saw the week's uh I guess it'd be the week eighteen game, the Buffalo game, but he basically played the slot in that game, a new position yeah. for him. So, I mean, there, it's a, I don't want to say wet noodles to the wall because there's more to it than that. But I think he's a guy right now, Fangio, he was a guy looking for options because he's just running out of horses. Yeah, could be right. Yeah. You know, I was talking with one of my guys on the matchup show. Oh, you know him, Matt. You've talked to him. Um, and, you know, we were just saying, boy, it would have been so cool to be sitting, you know, as a fly on the wall during the process of those conversations. Because, you know, like you, I'm a process guy. You know, I love to know how coaches come up with what they want to do, particularly if it's a little different than what they've done you know, throughout the season. And, uh, you know, I kept thinking that watching the tape, obviously watching the game, I noticed it to some degree, but you really need to see the tape to, to see it, you know, in, in its full flower as it were. And I just kept thinking, you know, I would have loved to have been sitting right there as these guys were going over why they took this approach. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting. They played them a few weeks ago too. They played them in the Germany game. And yep, that was yep. one that was, you know, they prepared for that at great length, like they do any game. So I'm sure that there are 10 other reasons to what went into it. But, you know, he's playing a playoff game with with guys he's unfamiliar with. Yeah, and it's yeah. his pass rushers that are down. It's, remember, it's, you lose a bunch of guys at one position. That is that is hard, especially on a defense, because now you've got an obvious weakness that your opponent can tailor everything towards. Sure. And, and he probably is thinking they're tailoring everything towards the idea of these guys can't rush the passer. Well, so what's the opposite of, you know, we, we can rush if we bring them all. And, and that's going to be the opposite of what of of what Kansas City was prepared for. That'd be my guess of what he was thinking. And that, that makes perfect sense. So that yeah, that that does make sense. So, yeah, no, that's what the I other, was looking forward other... to asking you that because I was trying to figure it out because, um, you know, after, particularly after watching the tape, because Mahomes clearly read it, all that stuff very cleanly, knew where to go with the ball. Um, and again, Mahomes is, is a very smart player and he, you know, he can do that. So, so it's, you know, yeah. you're, you're taking your shot, but it's not a surprise that Mahomes handled it. 
Well, the other thing I wonder, I'm looking now at these at these numbers too. So they brought, holy cow, they brought cover zero almost 30 times in this game. Does that seem right? That seems no, like No, I don't think that's number. right. That's too okay, many. yeah. Wild card game. But a, a, a lot of them, though, early downs, I wonder if it was also maybe a run defense tactic. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's counting it as well. But in the past game, it wasn't 30. No. No, what I'm saying is counting run. Yeah, here, I can pull up just passes. But I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, so pass, I mean, 19, does that sound right to you? Uh, 19 here on PFF. Yeah, that's more than, than the website I use, True Media. But, you know, it's it certainly was a high number. It was a high number. And I guess the, the overall point is, you know, he was bringing them on passing downs and running downs. I yes, just wonder yes. a little bit if he thought maybe I can double as a run defense tactic for us too. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. So Buffalo, what they'll do for Kansas city and, uh, and Patrick Mahomes, what would you, ex- I mean, we've seen a lot of too deep from them against the chiefs over the years. Yep. And Buffalo's always a nickel defense, except there have been games against the chiefs specifically different chiefs teams, kind of the Tyree kill teams more, but games where Buffalo has played dime against these guys and Buffalo's, thin at, at linebacker right now due to injury. So what, what yes. do you expect to see from their defense? Well, Buffalo plays a, a lot of um, too high shell coverage. Um, I guess Rasul Douglas is supposed to be back for this game. Apparently he was close this week and they, they held him out. Uh, so he'll be back at, at the boundary corner position because they go boundary and field with their corners. Um, you know, they tend against uh, – uh, the chiefs to play a lot of too high. That's kind of their approach. Anyway, they're not a heavy man to man team. Um, so, you know, they play, they play a ton of nickel. I mean, that's, that's almost their base defense is nickel. They don't oh, really play snaps yeah. with three linebackers and they just don't have linebackers now, especially I would assume Terrell Bernard's going to be out based on his injury. Um, so they're down linebackers. So they're definitely going to play uh, nickel, which, you know, as I said, is their base defense. Anyway, um, they rely on their pass rush and their pass rush has been relatively successful. And, you know, we've seen, that the uh, Chiefs offensive tackles, Donovan Smith was back this week, uh, back from injury, replacing the rookie Wanya Morris, who clearly had struggled over the last four or five weeks in one-on-one pass protection. And we know Jawan Taylor has struggled all year in one-on-one pass protection. So they're going to count on the ability to to pressure Mahomes. Um, obviously, he can make plays uh, off script, outside of structure. But, you know, the goal is still to get him like that, to get him playing faster and not within the, uh, you know, the, the context and, and the timing of the offense. That's what they want to do and then go from there. I feel like Buffalo's pass rush a little bit is built. It's more of a collective pass rush yes. than one where there's, you know, a guy winning off the edge. And I wonder how productive you can count on it to be against the Chiefs offensive line that's, that's yes, weak on the edges, but pretty st- – pretty stout up the middle. I mean, yeah. almost as reliable as any interior three in pass protection, I'd say, with Trey Smith, Joe Tooney, and then Creed Humphrey at center. Any concern? Like, like let's, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say the Chiefs, for whatever it is, they can neutralize Ed Oliver and Buffalo's interior pass rush. Does that change the – is that a big problem for Buffalo? Uh, I would say it's a problem. I don't know. Big is relative because they may be able to – to do some damage on the outside, 
you know, Von Miller has certainly not been the player uh, since he's come back that he was prior. We'll see. He's had success rushing against the Chiefs, particularly in critical moments. Um, you know, Leonard Floyd, who you know, um, he's had a good year. He's been successful. Um, so, you know, Rousseau plays both on the outside, but they do move him inside, you know, at times when, uh, you know, in critical moments. I think they, in fact, I think they did that against the Chiefs in the uh, the game, which was week 14 down the stretch. If, if I go back and look at my notes, I think they had, let's see, um, you know, Miller lined up inside, um, you know, down the stretch and then, you know, uh, so they had Floyd and and Miller on the outside. They they could go that route as well um, if they feel Miller can, you know, can rush the quarterback because Rousseau's Rousseau can be a good pass rusher inside. So we'll you know we'll see how they decide to do that. Um, linebacker is an issue for them in this game if Bernard can't go. So that's that's going to yeah. be yeah, that's a big concern. Well, and Travis Kelsey is not the guy you want to face when you're having issues at linebacker. Not that that's the only guy who cover him, but they're going to be involved in the equation, especially if you're a zone-based defense. They're going to be involved more often than not. Other side of the ball, then, Kansas City, one of the more underrated defense. And I know people ah. realize they're good now, but, I mean, they're a great defense. Right? Yeah. They, they, they are a great defense scheme and player wise. I mean, they can just execute, line up and play two man, just out execute you, or they can scheme it up. They bring defensive back pressures probably as effectively as anyone in the league. I agree. What's the, yeah. What's the plan then with, with Josh Allen there? And he's been killing people with his legs late in the down, even more so lately, it feels like. Well, the last time they played, I mean, they, they've used a spy with Josh Allen at times. They used, they've used Gay, who's a great athlete. Um, they try to keep someone in front of him. Uh, you know, certainly it, it's all dependent on down and distance, as you know, and field location. But I think you'll see that for sure. Um, you know, one of the things that Spags does extremely well is late coverage rotation. I think you'll see that. Um, you know, Allen, for the most part, and I think you would agree, he's not a a truly refined timing rhythm passer. Can he do that on occasion? Absolutely, when it's clean. But when it's not clean, he will break down and look to move. Um, you know, and his, and and he can be great on the move as we know, but I still think they would want him to get into that kind of mode rather than to feel comfortable in the pocket. So, um, you know, Josh is to me is, is a combination of frustrating and exhilarating. You know, he's one of those guys that there's plays in every game where he just breaks down early and leaves throws on the field. And then there's plays in every game that are just spectacular where you walk away saying, I'm not sure how many quarterbacks in the league could do that. You know, we talked about cover zero with, with Fangio. You know, Steve Spagnolo has been one of the cover zero maestros in the league right. for a long time. And they did it a touch less this year than other years, but they've done it enough. And he does it in crunch to big moments enough that, you know, obviously Buffalo is going to spend a lot of time having a plan for that in this game. Josh Allen faced more cover zero than every QB except Jalen Hurts, every offense. But Philly, Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and they – they well, it's including the you, uh, here. I'm going to do a pass game because I know you don't you don't want the run stats in there with it. But and they've been pretty successful against it relatively. He's actually second most now with uh, Justin Fields faced the second most. Josh Allen third most if you just isolate pass plays. Right, right, so, right. Is that a possibility though for this game? Do you? Sure. Do, I mean, you've got those physical press corners. Do you just come after him and 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 try to make him play on your schedule almost? For sure. 
Um, the one thing, you know, Spags is a believer, too, in, in pressing with his corners, but we've seen a lot of motion with uh, Buffalo. Diggs is, is a motion receiver now. He's a little different player of these last five or six weeks. Um, Allen's missed him a few times on long pass plays where he was open. He was on top of the defense. That would have been maybe touchdowns, but certainly big, big gains. Uh, but there's uh, my sense is watching their offense their pass game in particular, we know that they've clearly made an effort to run the ball more and they've had success. But my sense with the pass game, and tell me if you see it the same way, is that they're trying to let Allen be a little more rhythmic. There's a lot more shorter throws, get the ball out, even if it's a six-yard gain, take the six-yard gain on first and 10 or second and eight, and let's just keep moving and let's Let's keep on schedule as opposed to let's have him drop back deep and look to push it down the field. You know, there's always a play here or there where they'll try to do that. But I think they try to get him working, uh, particularly between the numbers now. Dalton Kincaid's become a big factor there with a lot of of shorter throws. Um, And I think that that helps Josh Allen because, you know, every quarterback, quite frankly, is better. We've had this conversation many times is better when they can play within the timing and rhythm and structure of the offense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, I think Dalton Kincaid gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah, he's a top five tight end receiving wise. Anyway, he is a weapon. And that's something they did not have last year. And they really they had him early in the year. But I feel like the offenses as it's evolved it feels inevitable that that Kincaid's going to be a bigger part of it. And I think we're seeing that already. And I wonder if that contributes to how Joe Brady sees this when he's designing. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because Kincaid, again, we're not going to start comparing him to Kelsey, who will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But stylistically and how he can be deployed in the context of an offense, he's very much like that. Yeah, no question about that. I'm guessing we don't want to pick these games, correct? We don't want to. I'm not picking these. You know, no, no, I, you know, I don't want to either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's so, <laughs> let's go. All We're right, so let's go. That. Let's go earlier in the day on Sunday. Then Buccaneers and Lions. These guys met back in Week Six. I guess these are the most expensive divisional round playoff tickets that we've seen. The Lions have been the darlings of the NFL this year. How? When's the last time we saw a team that was the darling of the league and then they? completely delivered exactly as we thought they would. And here they are still playing and still the darlings of the NFL and probably favored to go to the NFC championship if all goes well in this game. Yeah. I mean, that game week six to me was fascinating because one of the things that the Lions did, and it'll be interesting to see, we know the Bucks are a big blitzing team. I mean, that we know. Um, But the Lions in that game played a ton out of 12 personnel. And Normally, you know, what that did is it got the Bucks in their base defense. Now, Todd Bowles blitzed a ton out of his base defense against the Eagles, for instance, the other night. Uh, but normally you don't get the same kind of exotic, sophisticated, detailed pressures out of base as you do out of sub. So um, they were very, very successful throwing the football out of 12 personnel versus the Bucks in that week six game. If memory serves me correctly, I think Goff was 14 for 18 for, you know, maybe 150 yards, give or take, um, throwing the ball out of 12 personnel, a lot of it play action. You know, they, they, they are the most voluminous play action pass team in the league with the quarterback under center. You know, almost yeah. probably 90 percent of their play action passes come with Goff under center, which in today's NFL, as you know, Andy, is kind of a rarity. Yeah, it is. 
one thing they can do, they're so good with their motions out of 12 personnel. Yeah. They only just get your man zone tell. Sam Laporta lines up at wide receiver and motions into the formation every snap, it feels like at times. There are games where that is like every snap, it feels like. Um, and I wonder, you know, Tampa Bay, they'll move their defenders. A you can manipulate them with motions a little bit because they'll play corners over out of base at times. And if you want to put both corners over to one side of the field, get both, you know, you put your tight ends to one side, receivers to one side, you might be able to get those corners dislodged or, dislo uh, you know, relocated on your terms. Uh, and then Ben Johnson would, would take it from there because I feel like, if you do get them displaced on defense, then you're looking to take shots or, or exploit yeah. them with Amon Ross St. Brown, some of those faster guys you have for Detroit. And the thing is, is the Bucks, you know, for all their blitzing, I would say they're more of a zone blitzing team than a man blitzing team. They 100%. are not a heavy, they are not a heavy man blitzing team. They they have a lot of those sort of zone match coverages that are are blitz coverages that you can't really fit into a specific category because they're specific to the pressure so you can't say oh they're playing quarters or they're playing cover three they're kind of specific to the pressures so but but they end up matching because you have to at some point but they're not a pure man blitzed team no, the only team that blitzed more with, with than them in zone coverage this year is Minnesota, who made a, they made blitz more than everybody in the last hundred years in zone <laughs> coverage. So that's yeah, that's that is absolute. That's not a, that's irrefutably their identity, and that's something they do well. And as you said, they match up within those blitzes here. They actually, I'm looking Greg at their man blitz numbers. It's way higher, and I would guess where they ranked man blitzing as well. Uh, well, obviously higher than we than we thought. Just you know, I was just going off film study, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, no, yeah. The, the numbers agree with the zone thing for sure, which doesn't. I don't. I don't think that surprises either us. They're they're second in the league, but man blitzes. They were fourth in the league this year on man blitzes as wow. well. Wow, then that's high. a change uh, for Todd Bowles. You know, um, and which is kind of surprising for this reason. They spent a good part of the season with their starting corners not being healthy. Yeah, great point. And yeah, actually, I had Cody Schwartz look up the other day how many snaps they played with Jamel Dean and, and Carlton Davis on the field together this year. And it's it was at the time, this is a week ago, it was, it was just under 30%. Yeah, so that's my point. That's why I'm surprised by those man blitz numbers because they were not playing with their starting corners. Yeah, well, we're talking total snaps here. Overall blitzes, they were third in the number of blitz snaps. Minnesota first, the Giants under Wink Martindale were second. Bucks were third. Denver was a very distant fourth. So those three teams, Tampa, New York, and Minnesota, are the blitzing teams. And Goff is a guy that, that people familiar with Goff have blitzed him before. That's something that a lot of guys have felt is the best way to approach Jared Goff. No, and, and you know, Goff to me um... – I mean, he's a he's a pure quarterback. You know, he's almost old school in a certain way. He's big. You know, I mean, you know, Jared Goff. He's big. Um, he throws a beautiful ball. Um, he'll stand and deliver. But if you get people around him and you pressure him, uh, and again, you could probably say this about a lot of quarterbacks, but he's certainly not a second reaction player. He's not an off script player. If he starts to hurry his delivery, he can be a little erratic with his ball location. This is what you're trying to do. So. I would bet that this is a week for Todd Bowles and his defensive staff where they're going to be working on pressures coming from their base defense because they're yeah. going to, you know, they're going to get a lot of 12 personnel in this game. Um, 
you know, the Lions have tight ends. They obviously have two very good backs, two very different backs. But I think you'll see 12 personnel. Laporta can detach from the formation. He can line up anywhere. They would look to get him, you know, they would look to use him as a researcher pre-snap, see how, if he's detached, how the Bucks, you know, line up. Um, and, you know, let's say they put David out on him. They'll think, hey, it's man. If it's still the corners are out there, they'll think zone. Um, I think they'll use Laporte in that way, particularly early in the game, to research the Bucks defense. Other side of the ball, Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield's playing extremely well. Detroit's pass defense has been a little wobbly. I think they've done a good job of overcoming it for being a wobbly pass defense. But you're still talking. You brought this issue up when we discussed these guys a little a few weeks ago. They're corners. There's some concern there. You know, what interests me, Greg, about Tampa Bay's offense, they they were an under center kind of Seahawks style offense under Dave Canales early in the year. It became apparent to him that they can't run the ball. And we mean that there's no disrespect. They're 32nd in, in almost all the run cat, the major run categories. They're not a good running offense. They quietly adjusted and became much more of a shotgun offense as the season progressed, and that's where they kind of found their rhythm, a really impressive job of evolving by, I think, reactionarily, evolving to your circumstances. And right now they look like an offense that has an identity. Like, like, I don't think I've seen Mayfield this comfortable before. Yeah, and I think they have run it a little better. I mean, they're not obviously a a great running football team, but I think it's given them – uh, I hate to use the word balance, but I think they've had better success running the ball. Um, the interesting thing to me, they're not a big motion team. And the thing that has always struck me now watching the Lions D, and I'm sure you've noticed it, they are a big adjustment team versus motion. I mean, I've noticed that throughout the year, but it really stood out to me watching them against the Rams this week. I don't know if you got to see that tape, you know. What, what, what do you mean by an adjustment team? Tell me what you mean so by in that. Other words, in other words, what they often did, and I noticed this seven, eight, nine times against the Rams, okay? The Rams are a big motion team, particularly taking a receiver and bringing him across the formation. They do it with Cup, as you know. They do it with Nakua a lot. And what the Lions did an awful lot is they would take the post safety when they were in single high, and then he would drop down and react oh. to the motion, and they take the corner who was on the side where the motion came from, and he would become the deep safety. Yes, yeah, spinning no. the safeties. They definitely do that a lot in Detroit. They were yes. spinning. Yeah, that's the right term. You're right. They would spin. And they got caught a couple of times. I remember there was one where Nakua this week ended up running a shallow crosser, I think against Joseph, who was not really in good position to play it. And, and Stafford hit him on the shallow. And then he ran for 35 yards. You know, I mean, and they did that, like I said, numerous, numerous times. But the Bucks, up to this point, they've not been a big motion team. But it's just something you notice on film and you think, you might want to test that. Who would you test it with if you're Tampa Tampa Bay? Godwin. Say God, you 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 use Chris Godwin on it. Yeah, or I would I might consider Palmer because he can run. Yeah, you know, because Palmer run him across the formation, then have him run back on a shallow or a drive route, whatever you want to call it, and yeah. let him run away from his safety if they're going to make that kind of spin adjustment. Yeah, they've got Devin Tompkins, a second year on draft. He's an interesting guy, too. Yeah. There's been times this year where I've felt like this, like Tompkins is the only like truly dynamic gadget piece or movable fast piece, if you will. Um, But no, I think you make make an interesting point. Motion him around. 
make Detroit react on the fly. We're talking motion at the snap on these things. Right. Tempo motion sounds like too. If you want to spin the safeties, you're going to bring the motion fast. Yeah. It's um, and, and one thing we know that they'll do, they will push the ball downfield. They, they'll, they'll throw deep. And I feel like the motions anymore are a great way to propagate your downfield passing game. I would agree with that. Yeah, because you want to, you get guys free access off the ball and they can fly off the ball and, and then they can get into their routes really quickly and it, that makes it hard on the defense. No, I, well, I agree it, with yeah, that. And it makes it hard for the defense to decipher who's who's the vertical guy then, who's the widest right. guy. Because the motion guy is looking like he could become the vertical guy at any second. And I do feel like, though, Gray, that defenses have gotten better. We're talking broad now. We're not just talking Detroit. But defenses across the league have gotten better at hand, handling some of those fast vertical switch releases. I still think it's something offenses want to be doing. I would agree. And then, you know, again, I don't know, you know, Dave Canales. I know you do. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, if you just look at the numbers, they have not been a big motion team this year. Um, but that doesn't mean they're incapable of it. Uh, and it doesn't mean they have to do it on 80% of their snaps. But, you know, I think it's just something – you know, you might want to see what kind of reaction you get early in the game and, and then go from there. A couple of teams we know will use motion play Saturday night. The Packers and the 49ers both are in the top oh, four in use of jet yeah. motion and motion at the snap. Um, what side of the ball should we? Let's go Packers offense. because I love that. I, I've been really yeah. enjoying watching the Packers offense. Um, and you're right. Great use of motion. Um Really, the zone run game is their foundation, even with Love playing at a high, high level. Um, the last four games, Jones has had 20-plus carries over 100 yards. It's predominantly zone. He's a great zone runner. Um, you know, and, and that's really important to Matt LaFleur. You know, he's not just a let's toss it around the yard coach. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've just been really impressed with Love and the way he's working with these young receivers. I mean, he's got two second-year receivers, four first-year receivers, um, and, you know, the way that these guys – and two rookie tight ends. And now that Musgrave is back, they can line up in 12 and really be a factor as well. So, um, you know, I think that they're one of those teams right now uh, that has every dimension at their receiving position. You know, they have guys who can work short to intermediate. They've got the the intermediate guys – like. Dobbs, I think, can be one of those guys that can do everything. Watson is now back. He's a vertical guy. Um, you know, the tight ends, you know, the, I think they can basically do anything in the past game. So they've got a lot of weapons, and, and they've all kind of grown together. And Love yeah. has the ability to play from the pocket. He has the ability to move. He's big. He, you know, he's a high-level traits quarterback. Yeah, it feels like that passing game goes through Jaden Reed if you had to pick yes. one of these guys right now. He's their motion guy for the most part. Not not just Jaden Reed, but he's their motion guy. Yeah, and then the other guy that – and I know we can mention them all because, I mean, Malik Heath shows up some weeks. But the other guy is is a fifth-round rookie, Dontavian Wicks. Feels like critical moments, he's the, he's the one that, that moves the chains. You know, it's funny because – he was at Virginia, and I watched him his second to last year when Virginia actually had a really good season, and he caught over 60 balls, over 1,000 yards, and I loved his tape, loved his tape. Um, I thought that if he had a really big senior year, he could be, you know, a top 50 pick. Well, Virginia's offense was terrible, and he only caught about 30 balls, and everybody forgot about him, but he still has the same traits. Now, he's not a burner. You know, I, I didn't think he was going to become, you know, a top 10 pick or one of those guys, but... 
you know, you can see he moves well for a big guy. He can work the middle of the field. He's he's a really interesting guy. Now, they have a lot of receivers, so there may not be one guy who gets 140 targets, but he's a very interesting guy to me. The other side of the ball in that in that matchup, I guess one other point on Green Bay, by the way, and I think you'll appreciate this, this Greg. Um, what's impressed me, the, the, the coaching job that they've done, Matt LaFleur and his, his staff, Jason Vrabel, coaches a lot of those receivers, a passing game. Uh, early in the year, they had this identity. They threw deep more than anyone. That was, they, they were a downfield passing offense, and love yep. was inconsistent, and maybe that's the problem. If you split early in the year and late in the year and look at their passing game, same exact approach. They're still throw deep more than anyone. They're just doing it with guys that have now played together and been in the league for basically a full season, including their quarterback. And lo and behold, we forget these guys can improve and get better at the things they do. And coaches know their players so well. Clearly, Matt LaFleur wants to play this way with Jordan Love and be an aggressive downfield passing offense when possible. And I, I just like seeing a team there are a lot of teams that would change their offensive approach midseason when they were whatever Green Bay three and six. They were or two and five were at one point. point. Yeah, you know Green Bay did not do that. They stuck no. with with what they spent the offseason building towards. They realized we have a reason we're doing that, and it has paid enormous dividends for them. And they're another team that's a big play action team with the quarterback under center because that fits in with their run game. So not quite as much as Detroit, but they 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 do that, and it's been very very effective for them. Perfect segue to the other side of the ball. San Francisco, one of the original under center play action teams. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's interesting. The 49ers actually do not run play action a whole lot more than other teams. In fact, they run it a little bit less than the rest of the league. They run it the same amount they've always done. It's just the rest of the NFL has now started to catch up and do it more, in part because the Niners were so good at it, and the Niners and Rams were kind of the teams changing or, or trailblazing the zone play action, at least for this specific era. So you got to have a plan for the play action game with San Francisco. What else on that side of the ball, though, with Brock Purdy and those weapons for the, the Niners? Is the run game a concern? Do you remember we've seen Green Bay get absolutely housed by this Niner run game in previous playoff matchups? Yeah, and, and I think that's still, you know, as much as everybody's talked about Purdy and deservedly so, I think it still starts with the run game. I mean, McCaffrey gained almost 1,500 yards this year, and, you know, there's – Obviously, they're a running team that there's some clear tendencies that, you know, they certainly run to the left a ton behind Trent Williams and Aaron Banks. I mean, uh, you know, they do that toss, that sort of outside zone toss, which they're really, really good at. Um, You know, they play a lot out of 21 personnel with two backs. Juszczyk is is the second back. Um, but they also run out of 11 personnel and they, you know, they have certain plays that they, certain concepts that they run at, you know, with multiple ways to get to them. And, uh, you know, I think that that makes it difficult to defend, um, because it's not, Hey, they're lining up this way and we're going to get this run. They really, they really get to their base runs, their core runs multiple ways from, um, uh, I don't want to say a personnel standpoint because they don't really play out of a Well, they play out of, you know, obviously 21, 12 and 11 are their, you know, their personnel. But every once in a while, 22, but not a lot. Um, but, you know, when you watch them, I, I say, oh, boy, that's the same concept I just saw a few runs ago. But, boy, they got to it a totally different way. I think that's one of the things they're really, really good at. Yeah, that 11 personnel run game. Did you see our, our coach's newsletter a couple weeks ago about that, that item in it? I did. 
Yeah, 7.5 yards per carry running the ball out of 11 personnel on normal down and normal first and second down. City. So they're not running draw plays on third and 20 and gaining 12 and juicing the stats. No, Seven in fact, uh, I'm doing a piece in the matchup show this week on their run game out of 11. It's funny you say that. There you go. Great minds thinking alike. Is that what you said a few weeks ago? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but no, they're – their their run game is really and, and and you know we we say this all the time about the Rams it's said about the Niners but it's true and it matters is their wide receivers are really a factor in their run game as far as blockers and that's really really important particularly when you're going to attack the perimeter. So Green Bay's defense they get a lot they've gotten a lot of criticism this year. To me, Greg, they've got guys that can rush off the edge or maybe not first tier guys, but they're clearly quality second tier guys. Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith. They're interior guys on paper, and I would argue on film as well, are as dynamic as anyone in the league. Yeah, playmaking interior guys. And and then they've got athletes at linebacker. And I don't know, Jair Alexander, if he's on the field, they've got a cover corner they can kind of build around. I think this is a better defense than people have given credit for. And I think it's starting to play that way too now here in these Yeah, I would agree. You know, they had some bad games. And don't forget – Alexander was hurt. He got hurt again. So he's probably going to be day to day for this week. Um, right. But, you know, they, they anticipated their corners would be Stokes and Alexander. And that's two pretty good corners. And obviously Stokes has missed pretty much the entire season. Alexander missed most of the season. So they were playing with Valentine and Valentine. Um, so they were playing with corners that they didn't expect to be playing with. Um they played a ton of zone. They got hurt at times in zone. Even the safety position, it was with, you know, uh, Owens is playing. Uh, he's He basically plays, I believe, to the boundary, their boundary safety, because they play a lot of two-shell coverage. Um, so, you know, they're playing on the back end with guys I don't think they expected to be playing with. And so they've had issues at times. But I agree with you about their front. I watch them every week, and I always come away feeling like these guys up front are pretty good. They got a guy named Carl Brooks, who I think is really good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've Four, probably noticed six, him. I think he's 90, nine, he 94. 94, sixth-round rookie, yep. Yeah, and I think he does a really good job with Clark with TT stunts. They're very good at that, working together. Um, so, yeah, their their front is good. Um, you know, we'll see how they can handle the back end because that's going to be a factor in this game, clearly. Yeah, and the guy that stands out, no, Kenny Clark's the high money guy, and I think he's earned every dollar of it. TJ yep. Slayton is the guy that that the dark horse for me, number ninety three, that seems to make yeah. four or five plays every single week as well. They got some good guys. Jerry Montgomery is a defensive line coach here. He's been there a while. They've been, you know, to their credit in Green Bay. I think they they always achieved well up front. They have invested in it too. It seems like every year they draft someone in the first round. And just bring him along off the bench. This year, it's Lucas Van Ness. We've seen other guys. Devontae Wyatt was the guy last year. And he's, and he's been playing more snaps, and he looks like he's developing now as well. Yeah, they, they they draft one year ahead up front, and they develop them really well within the organization. And they get depth along the way, too. It's not like they develop the guy and don't play him. They give him 15 or 20 snaps. That's a great and, point. And they, yeah, yeah, that's a, because yeah, it's good. Because Wyatt last year coming out of Georgia, late first round pick, everybody starts with the, you know, the BS. Well, he's a bust. Well, this year he's playing more and more snaps and he's been playing significantly better as this year has progressed. Yeah, no, you can't ever, you can never declare a Packer defensive, especially defensive lineman, a bust until three years in because they're not, remember it's like Mike Zimmer used to do that with corners. The Bengals still do it with corners. You develop them. Some teams still do develop 
right, the, right. From the bench. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last game, Texans, Ravens. These teams played in week one, so it was the first game for both teams. Yeah, a long time ago. Game. Yeah. 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 I don't last know how much you know teams. how much. No, that I don't means. think it's I, yeah, I don't think it's relevant anymore, but two let's go CJ Stroud in that side of the ball because I mean, I, I think he's a top 10 quarterback easily right now, if not top more. I yeah, don't I, he's another guy I enjoy watching because I just I like the way he plays. You know, I think that, you know, and, and I think what's probably surprised a lot of people, Andy, is the mental part for him. You know, a lot of teams, which you do with young quarterbacks, sh- show him late coverage rotation. And in many ways, like Brock Purdy, he sees it within a second because that's about all you the time you have to see it and be able to respond to it and he has done that consistently throughout the course of the season and you know that's a trade you you don't really see in college because you don't have to see it in college the way the college game is played and so you're not sure if a guy can do that it's why when I had conversations with a number of scouts and and personnel people at the combine I a lot of what I heard was well he's another Ohio State quarterback and you know, I'm not saying they're wrong or they're stupid. Obviously, they're not, the people who said that. But, you know, you didn't know about this trait until you saw him in the NFL because it's not required in college to play at a high level. Yeah, that's a great point. He's going to see those late rotations on Saturday because Baltimore, oh. one big change. And the Baltimore's always been a, a complex defense, but one big change under Mike McDonald they line up in those two deep shells as well and get to a lot of different coverages out of them. And they don't blitz as much as you guess. They're no. Almost a, they almost start with the coverage. They're, they're bottom third of the league and how much they blitz. It doesn't feel that way because when they do blitz, they're really complex, high volume, a lot of moving pieces in the blitz. And they've got those linebackers that are so good at it yes. that the blitzes get home. So it feels like they're blitzing more than they are because they're so fast and dynamic when they do. But McDonald starts with the coverage in mind, and he's going to show you those split safety looks most snaps and then play something, anything after the snap. Um, Yeah, no, that's absolutely going to be the case. Um, But um, uh, McDonald, you know, to me, he's interesting because we think of Martindale prior to him and how much he blitzed. And McDonald's not really like that at all. I mean, he when he blitzes, like you said, it's very strategic. It's it's detailed and it and it works but don't forget they've also gotten some really strong play from the defensive front to me this has been Jadavion Clowney's best year far and away I mean he has become a, a true force as a pass rusher I don't care what the sacks show you know he's not among the league leaders in sacks but he has been a factor as a pass rusher and you and I have talked about Matabuke a number of times. He's really become a force inside, so much so at times that in certain fronts, sub fronts, they line him up as a wide nine, and he's shown the ability to rush the quarterback from a wide nine alignment. So they've been really, really good up front. And, you know, you mentioned the linebackers. Um, obviously, D linemen are expected to rush the quarterback. I think you could make an argument that the three key players to this defense are – Kyle Hamilton and the two linebackers. I think oh, those guys yeah, really set the tone for what this is. 100%. I would agree with that completely. And one thing with, with Clowney, I feel like they've done a great job of understanding what he is as a pass rusher. And so much of his rushes are schemed where he's going to be looping on a stunt, meaning he's coming inside. Yep. He's crashing inside. They don't ask him to just bend. He's not an edge bender, as we've talked about. 
they don't ask him to do that. He's a big part of some of the schemed rushes at right. the feature. But I also think he's done a better job, Clowney, this year of winning one-on-one, which in the past, he really wasn't that guy. You know, now he's, he's like you said, I mean, you're not going to compare him to TJ Watt or, or the, you know, those guys. But I think he's really had a strong season because don't forget, he's with his fifth or sixth team and he's either just 30 or under 30. And you and I both know that big time pass rushers, maybe there's one other exception in Gakwe, but other than that, big time pass rushers don't get to be on five or six teams, you know, but before they're 30 years old. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Patrick Queen after this season, too. The narrative on him was, oh, they're going to move on from him. Patrick Queen's a top 10 linebacker. He's right had a now. really good season, too. Yeah, he is, as, he is as good of a blitzer, timing the blitz and then executing the blitz as as anyone in the league. He fits them. Do you think he is he one of those guys? Like he's more valuable as a Raven than he is as a any other team? Does he just fit? He's obviously very talented, so he's going to fit a lot. He could be. Again, you know, that's hard to know because we're not seeing him on another team, but that could be the case. You know, um, I guess your point is if he went to another team and the team said, you're our big-time number one linebacker, would he be that guy? As good a year as he's had and and, and as talented as he is, as he is traits-wise, you know, could he be that guy? I, you know, th- that's a decision because I guess he's a free agent, is he not? Yeah, that's why it's going to be interesting to see yeah. what happens with him. Yeah, I mean, is yeah. someone going to see him that way? And is he that guy? Or, you know, because don't forget, Roquan Smith's really, really good. So, you know, he's in a great situation. But I don't know. I I, I don't study the cap, you know, the uh, the cap stuff. So I don't know what their situation is. Well, somebody's going to pay Patrick Queen a lot of money one way or the other. Right. And it's just a matter of who has the money, I guess, at that yeah. point. Then. All right, Ravens, Texans, still not picking games, Greg? No, nah, no, nah, we're not picking games. All right, well, then we're done. That's the Behind the Screen podcast. I mean, I, I don't know. Yourself. What do you think? Do you think that people no, want us to pick no. these games? I don't want to pick All right, games. well, I mean, do you, you want to pick? I just, I, I you tell you what, why don't you pick for me and I'll pick for you? Oh, boy. All right, well, <laughs> let's, let's, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the Ravens to win. I'm going to pick the Lions to win. Um, I'm really having a hard time with Bills Chiefs. So for me now, I'm, I'm tossing a coin on this one. I'll just pick the Bills. But I, that, there's no conviction behind that. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and what's the other, the other game? The other game is Niners and the Packers. Ooh. I'll go Niners. All right. I don't disagree with any of that stuff. And if somebody said it's the other way around on all of it, my See, level you're copping out. You forced me to pick and you're copping out. If you were picking for me, though, I said. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) All right, for my friend Greg Cosell, I'm Andy Benoit. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We'll be back next week talking championship matchups. 